African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us once again here on Channel Africa, where we see things from an African perspective. This is me, Benjamin Mushatama. You'll be with me for the next hour right here on African Dialogue on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa and on DSTV on Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. And remember, we're also online on www.channelafrica.co.za where you can stream us live. Thank you for joining us here on African Dialogue where we look at the big stories on the African continent. And looking at Burundi, Burundians have approved a new constitution which allows the country's president, Pierre Nkurunziza, to stay in power until 2034. Late yesterday, Burundi's Electoral Commission confirmed that 73% of voters were in favor of the amendments which will extend Kurunziza's presidential term from five to seven years. Well, before the outcomes of the referendum uh, that were uh, announced uh, yesterday, the opposition was challenging the process. Agathon Roaza, leader of the main opposition party, the, Liber- the National Liberation Forces, that's the National Liberation Forces, said that the process was neither free or fair. Well, to help us unpack this, uh, we've got on the line Professor Babatunde uh, Fakbayino, who's an associate professor in the Department of Public, Constitutional and International Law at UNISA. Also on the line, we've got Rachel Nicholson, who's a researcher for Rwandan Burundi at Amnesty International. Well, let me start with you, uh, Professor uh, Babatunde, in terms of looking at uh, this particular context in terms of what is the backdrop of this? We know there has been a, a real contestation of how many years President Pierre Nkuruziza uh, was in power for looking at the fact that historically he was actually appointed by parliament. There's a whole a complexity around that particular issue. Could you give us a bit of a background to this matter? Yes, um, good morning um, to you and your listeners. Um, you see, one must be able to situate um, the issue of Burundi within a number of paradigms, a number of variables. But one of the key variables, again, is the increasing um, the authoritarian, the increasing uh, authoritarian um, issues across the continent. Burundi, obviously, is um, surrounded by countries um, um, that exactly have also not shown um, seriousness in terms of um, upholding democracy, good governance, and human rights issues. Um, you have Rwanda, uh, where a dictator is actually the president there. You have um, where the constitution, again, has been changed, just like Burundi. Um, you have um, Uganda as well. Yahweh Museveni has been in power since 1986, and he keeps changing and bending, um, making complete ridicule of, of, of constitutional um, governance. Um, so, and you also have John Magafuli, who is also beginning to show dictatorial powers in, uh, in, uh, in Tanzania. So the background to this is very simple. Um, Nkuruziza completely understands the fact that neither the African Union or the East African community is able to sanction him 
for all the wrongs um, he has been uh, uh, he, he has been doing. Remember that as of 2015, the um, 2016, sorry, um, when he was um, 2015 when he, he contested for mm-hmm. he changed the constitution to grant himself the third term. The African Union, the EAC, were very very quiet about this. The elections were rigged. He killed so many people. You know, um, engaged in all all kinds of atrocities. Mm. But yet they kept quiet. Um, the, the African Union um, Peace and Security Council then had to um, mandate the African Commission on Human and People's Rights to engage in a field study, um, to go to Burundi and to assess the situation. And um, the report of the African Commission on Human and People's Rights um, was a very, very was very, very critical mm. of Kuruziza and his government, showing mm. how they've engaged in acts. Um, of um, crimes against humanity, mm. targeted assassinations, and all of those mm. things. Um, but what did the African Union do when it came to, before the summit uh, of the AU Assembly? Mm. They decided not to send troops to Burundi to quell the issue and decided to transfer everything to East African community. Um, and, of course, the East African community had um, appointed uh, uh, former President Benjamin Mkapa mm. of, uh, of, of Tanzania to be the envoy. Um, but nothing, nothing has been done so far. So the more we see the squaredness on the part of regional institutions that are supposed to be at the forefront of championing democracy, of course, these things are well stipulated in their treaties, uh, the more we see this, then the more we further embolden um, Nkuruziza. Remember that Nkuruziza, shortly after this, um, and while, of course, this report was quashed, nothing was done about it, Shortly after that, everything, Nkuruziza um, and Burundi was also appointed to be a member of the Peace and Security Council, which again was a very laughable, um, uh, laughable situation. So the background is simple. Of course, Nkuruziza, uh, apart from all of these things, apart from the fact that he's been emboldened by regional actors, um, we also have to place him within the context of the history of Burundi itself. Um, because since 1962, that Burundi gained independence, um, it's, it's, it's history has been uh, riddled with all sorts of, um, you know, coups, counter-coups, uh, allegations so, of genocide mm. on, on, on different parts. Well, we'll, so, come, we'll, we'll come back to that. I want to bring in Rachel Nicholson because there's a contradiction here whereby already we've seen uh, the Burundi Electoral Commission confirming the 73% of voters that were in favor of this particular amendment. And uh, does this say anything about the population in Burundi being in favor of Nkuruziza's uh, presidency, uh, Rachel? Thank you. Good morning. Um, it's very, and thank you, Professor, for the context um, for this vote and the, the, the situation that we've seen over the last three years um, in particular and going back even further. Um, in terms of your question of what does this say about what the population of Burundi um, feel about uh, the current government, it's very hard to say. Obviously, it's difficult to comment on uh, the political leanings of, of different individuals, and so I wouldn't sure. want to to uh, you know to claim to know what what's in the hearts of different mm, members mm. of the population. Mm. But one thing that I think has been very clear for us as Amnesty International is that we're really concerned about the context in which this vote is taking place. It's a major change that has been brought into place with um, the changing of the Constitution, and such a major change should take place in a context where people can express their views 
um, express their views freely without any fear of intimidation or repercussions for expressing a contrary view to, um, to the ruling party and to the government in power. And we've seen that that is not the case. Um, in the weeks leading up to the referendum, in the months leading up to the referendum, but also you know, in the years since um, 2015 when the crisis began, when Karinziza decided to stand for a third term, we've seen an increasingly entrenched repression in the country. I've spoken to many refugees who've left the country, and they've spoken about, and these are not necessarily people who are in high-level politics in the capital, but also people who decide that they don't want to join the ruling party at the local level, and they find themselves being the subject of harassment and intimidation. Family members have been killed or attacked, or they've been imprisoned and tortured, and they've decided to leave the country because of this climate of repression, this climate of fear that even the Catholic Church acknowledged just a few weeks ago. So, you know, we're, as I've said, you know, we're very concerned about the context that this vote is taking place, and that comes back to your question of, you know, what do people really think? What do people really want to happen? It's very hard to say in a context where there are repercussions for speaking your mind if you don't agree with the government. Very interesting indeed, because already when you look at the context of what the opposition is saying, uh, staying with you, Rachel, uh, it, it actually also brings a lot of alarm bells already. Agatha Ruaza of uh, the opposition National Liberation Forces has alleged that government forces had arrested perceived opponents ahead of last week's Thursday ballots. And uh, there have also been... Uh, uh, allegations that they've threatened to assassinate those who voted against amending the constitution. So a lot of allegations even happening around this uh, uh, recent uh, constitutional amendment. Yes, yes, it's very concerning. And um, we've also been receiving those reports of arrest, beating, intimidation of both real and perceived opponents of the constitutional amendment. Um, Around, around the voting day as well, we've, we've received reports that observers weren't allowed into some of the polling stations. We've not been able to confirm those reports yet, but it is certainly confirmed that in the weeks running up to the election, a number of people were killed, beaten, um, intimidated in various ways. Um, there is you know, some very disturbing cases. Uh, one man who was asked by, <coughs> excuse me, the Imbonera Cure, which is a youth group linked to the ruling party, which is in becoming increasingly militarized, playing more of a role of a militia in some places, um, asking this man for his receipt to show that he had registered to vote. He didn't, he didn't produce that receipt, and he eventually was beaten to death. Um, and we've heard of other cases um, like that, and clearly the, the fear factor that comes out of such cases is really enormous. Well, let me take a quick break and then I, I'm going to come back to you, Professor Fagbayino, because I want to get your thoughts. And uh, I want to move into where critics say that this recent uh, referendum actually is a death blow to the Arusha peace deal which ended a 1993 to 2006 civil war. In that particular context, uh, where do we sit in, especially when we are seeing a, a lot of uh, issues around opposition politics in, in, in the country, as uh, Rachel alluded to there. But we'll deal with those questions after this break.
The two-day Africa Shared Value Summit is modeled on the successful Shared Value Leadership Summit held annually in New York, America. Shift Social Development, the team of women behind the summit, aims to create an annual platform where shared value practitioners can share their stories and influence businesses and brands in the creation of shared value, thus embodying their mantra, Profit with Purpose. On the 24th and the 25th of May, Channel Africa will broadcast live from the event taking place at the Maslow Conference Center in Santin, Johannesburg, South Africa. Tune into Africa Dialogue on the 24th of May at 1100 hours Central African time when we will look at building business for the future. Then on Friday, the 25th of May, join Gateway to Africa also at 1100 hours Central African time for another live broadcast looking at shaping Africa's future. Channel Africa bringing you the African perspective. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. We're looking at the latest uh, story in Burundi where there has been an approval of a new constitutional reform which will allow um, Pierre Nkurunziza, uh, the president of the country, to stay in power until uh, 2034. Uh, Before we get into more of this particular conversation, uh, let's find out who this man is, Pierre Nkurunziza, and just get a little bit of a backdrop uh, behind him. President Pierre Nkurunziza was born in 1963 in Burundi's capital city of Bujumbura. Nkurunziza was raised in the province of Ngozi in the northern Burundi. His father, Yutashe Ngabisa, was a Catholic Hutu connected with the royal family. His mother was a Protestant Tutsi assistant nurse. Ngambisha was enlisted to the ranks of the pro-independence Uprona party and elected to the parliament of Burundi in 1965 and later became governor of two provinces before being killed in 1972. During the Burundian genocide of 1972, when ethnic violence claimed the lives of between 80,000 and 210,000 Burundians. In 2015, Nkurunziza was controversially nominated by his party for a third term in office. Supporters and opponents of Nkurunziza disagreed as to whether it was legal for him to run again, and protests followed. More than two months of anti-Nkurunziza protests, which were often violently repressed, left at least 100 dead. On the 13th of May 2015, a coup attempt against Nkurunziza occurred while he was out of the country. The coup leader, Godfrey Nyombare, claimed to have ousted Nkurunziza, although Nkurunziza loyalists disputed the claim. Facing resistance from Nkurunziza loyalists, the coup collapsed and forces loyal to him appeared to be back in full control by the 15th of May. Independent media was shut down and many opponents fled, joining and exodus of more than 400,000 Burundians. Amidst an opposition boycott, Nkurunziza was re-elected for a third term in the July 2015 presidential election. 
Nkurunziza was sworn in for his third term on the 20th of August 2015. Speaking on the occasion, he described his re-election as a victory of all Burundians. He vowed that if his enemies continued to pursue violence, they would be beaten with the aid of God and scattered like flour thrown into the air. By December 2015, over 300 people had been killed. About 215,000 others had fled the country. Well, that was Anne Musa there, giving us a little bit of a backdrop behind uh, uh, Pierre Nkurunziza's ascendance to power in Burundi. And that brings me back to you, because what was highlighted there is something very important, uh, uh, Professor Fakba Yibo, is the fact of the uh, Burundi's uh, um, referendum, which some are saying that is striking a death blow to the Arusha peace deal which ended uh, 1993 to 2006 civil war actually on our social media um, handled by the name i burundi says uh, uh, the fact that it is beyond constitutional reform it's about the arusha peace agreement which was mediated by nelson mandela that ushered in a constitutional uh, reform it's about mandela's legacy it's about the future's instability that is not being looked at and i burundi continues to say that uh, this reform is actually bad for the future of Burundi. How can a move be done via violence, a move that sent over 400 people, 400,000 people in exile? Uh, how can that be rescinded? Question is how much more blood will be split? Uh, and uh, so many questions on our social media there, uh, Professor Fakbaibo. But let's come to the issue of that Arusha peace deal. How is it being compromised through this particular process? Yes, um, we must remember that um, the the Arusha Peace Accord um, that ushered in the 2005 Constitution of Burundi was specifically um, written against the backdrop of um, violence, of the violent um, state um, uh, of, of affairs in Burundi. Um, there's been ethnic clashes, ethnic conflicts in Burundi since it got independence in 1962. Um, the Tutsi minorities have been accused, I mean, in the 70s, um, the, the, the president who's uh, from the Tutsi minority group um, was accused of genocide against the Hutus. The Hutus actually form about 80% of that population. Um, and of course, um, an, a Hutu president as well coming into power again um, in the early, uh, early 90s was also accused of engaging in acts of um, you know, act uh, of genocide. So the whole idea around the 2005 Constitution was to create or to, to, to create a framework that carefully balances ethnic issues. For example, it um, called for having two vice presidents um, mm-hmm. that would satisfy both the Hutus and the Tutsis. It also included in the Constitution a principle that allows um, for, for minority, um, the minor, minority group in the parliament um, to be able um, to, to act as, um, you know, um, to, to say that laws, will not, laws cannot be passed without buying from, from the minority. So those things were put in as safeguard measures so that, you know, just to cool off the tension and to make, it, uh, make everybody uh, have a sense of belonging in the state of Burundi. Um, but... What Nkunuziza has done with this new constitution is essentially to stir the honest nest in the sense that, um, I mean, one could um, read from in tinkering with the constitution that um, he exactly is not happy 
with those um, with those measures that allows for ethnic balancing in in Burundi. So, for example, this new constitution is likely or will definitely remove the whole idea of having two vice presidents. It will also remove that parliamentary um, the, the, the the parliamentary. Um, system, uh, or no, not the parliamentary system, um, I beg your pardon, but to, to also remove the protection in the parliament that allows for minority um, to be centrally involved in um, in all of those things. So, and, and essentially, the reason why, so if, um, and if, you, if you read the report, I had earlier mentioned the report of, um, of the African Commission, uh, uh, African Commission on Human and People's Rights that was tabled before the Peace and Security Council. It again, it accuses um, Nkurunziza of, uh, of very, very serious crimes, um, crimes that could um, literally land him before the ICC. Well, let me, uh, let, I, I, so let me bring Rachel into this in terms of uh, elaborating on uh, the ethnicities and how that actually uh, plays a role in the makeup of the politics of Burundi. We know that when uh, uh, Nkurunziza came into power in 2005 after a long civil war in which 300,000 people died, the East mm. African country had actually been uh, really battling with the, the slaughtering of uh, 800,000 Tutsis and also uh, Hutus were also slaughtered in this 1994 um, uh, genocide that we also saw in in in, in, in Rwanda. So, how does that ethnicity issue uh, actually make up the problems of politics that we see currently here, Rachel? Thank you. It's, um, it's a complicated issue, as you would as you would, of course, imagine. And I think one of the things to be clear in the current crisis. Um, particularly at the beginning in 2015, it was not um, an ethnic issue so much. Um, it was much more around the question of time limits. So those who were involved in the protests were from every ethnicity. It wasn't simply a question of Tutsis against um, a Hutu leader. So I think to be clear that it's what we've been seeing sure. so far mm. since 2015 is much more of a political crisis. Mm. But that said, um, as... Um, has been explained very well, the issue of um, ethnic quotas in um, representation in Parliament, um, also in the security forces, has been was a really important outcome of the Arusha Agreement. And I think that's one of the things that people are very afraid is going to be lost with the new constitution. Um, it hasn't actually removed those quotas. Uh, what the, con- the revised constitution has done is to mandate the Senate to review those quotas, to decide whether they're going to keep them for a further period or whether they're going to remove those quotas. But they had been seen very much as a sort of a safety measure within politics, um, but also within the security forces, um, to ensure that um, no one ethnicity would be favoured over the other. So that is, you know, it has been a very important measure that's been in place, and um, clearly there are serious concerns about what may happen next if um, if the Senate does propose that those measures be, be removed. And I think I just mm. wanted to touch on another issue which was flagged earlier about this, this cycle of violence that we have seen over the decades, these horrific atrocities that have taken place. And one thing that Amnesty has been pushing for throughout is for, an, is for accountability, so for crimes 
committed um, you know, throughout the decade, not just those that have been committed since 2015, but also those that there should be historical justice for those past abuses. There is a Truth and Reconciliation Commission in place, but that is more of a truth-telling exercise, and we've not seen the justice mechanisms to go alongside it to provide accountability, to deal with past grievances, and also to end the cycle of impunity that has really been affecting the country for far too long. And also the, the, the question that I also want to ask in, in that regard, Professor Fagbaibo, is uh, around the issue of uh, with this particular constitutional reform, where does it leave the opposition? Um, this um, constitutional reform essentially um, is targeted at um, silencing all forms of opposition. So um, Nkuruziza's ambition to have a one-party system, because with this constitution, he is effectively, he's effectively sending out a signal that all he wants is a one-party state, where there will be no, um, you know, freedom of freedom of choice, freedom of vote would essentially be um, meaningless in the in the equation of things. And of course, he has started the process because he also wants. Uh, so he he has um, the, the the opposition um, has been excluded. The opposition actually boycotted. They had boycotted the elections in 2015, um, and they had also boycotted this referendum. So, um, and if there is no, you know, they, by doing all of these things, Nkunziza is sending out a clear message to say that he will brook no opposition, and he's been able to use this veil, um, this, this facade of constitutionalism to um, entrench his own powers. He has actually reassigned many of the powers um, that were evenly distributed between institutions, between and among institutions in, in Burundi, based on the 2005 constitution, is actually, with this new constitution, is actually taking, bringing them back to his office. So something like uh, him creating um, uh, what some would call a monarchical presidency. Um, so the opposition actually, I mean, the opposition has been complaining. Um, they've been giving um, interviews and, and all of those things. But as long as um, regional actors fail to see how this violates regional uh, principles that are enshrined in their treaties, as long as they continue to do that, they embolden him. And, um, of course, they're they, they, they also not in support of, um, I mean, the opposition would actually have to ask itself that who exactly, because if Nkuruza um, is engaging in mass atrocities within Burundi, and yet the EAC and the African Union mm-hmm. has been silent in the face of, of this issue. Then he talks about uh, them in the dark. Now, one other thing you must also understand is that Burundi is still a very fragile state. You see, it's still, I mean, this is a country that, you know, has just emerged from civil war. Um, and you still have rebel groupings. I mean, Nkuruza himself had to face, um, um, last year there was, a, mm. there was a coup attempt, um, you see. So by you doing this, by Nkuruza, um engaging in this kind of activity, he is also stoking the flames of uh, rebellion within, within the country because, um, you know, there are various, various um, rebel groupings that are still operating in different, various ways within Burundi and maybe outside of Burundi as well. And by you mm-hmm. taking away all the powers and centralizing the powers uh, and also uh, engaging in atrocities against the opposition, this could literally, mm-hmm. this could break the fragility of, 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 uh, of, 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 um, of, the, of Burundi. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
Well, let me take a quick break and we're going to really try to see what's the way forward and also look at the technicalities of this particular referendum. Will uh, this legitimize uh, actually upcoming elections if there are any elections in Burundi? Will there be any elections needed after such a very much... uh, very up um, front uh, constitutional reform, which seems to cement uh, Pierre Nkurunziza's uh, reign until 2034 and the preference for Pierre Nkurunziza himself. Uh, let us uh, take a quick break and then we'll be back after this. Friday the 25th of May is a special day for our continent. It is Africa Day. Africans commemorate the founding of the Organization of African Unity, now known as the African Union, on the 25th May 1963. It aims to celebrate African unity. Channel Africa will be part of the celebrations. Join us as we broadcast live from the 9th Tabombeki Africa Day Lecture. So tune into Channel Africa, Friday the 25th of May from 19 hours to 21 hours Central African time on the frequency 3345 kHz on the 36-meter band, when we'll bring you Ms. Pumozile Mulambongnuka, Under Secretary General and Executive Director of UN Women, the title of her lecture being Gender Equality and Women Development for Africa's Renewal. The time and frequency again, 19 hours to 21 hours Central African time on the frequency 3345 kHz on the 36-meter band. Channel Africa, Africa. bringing you the African perspective. Well, uh, uh, thank you for joining us right here on African Dialogue. We've got just a few minutes left with our guests. If you're just joining us, we've got Rachel Nicholson, who is a researcher for Rwanda, Burundi at Amnesty International. Professor Babatunde Fagbayibo is an associate professor in the Department of Public, Constitutional and International Law at the University of South Africa. Rachel, let me come to you in terms of, uh, uh, you know, there seems to be now a stalemate for pro- Progress and also intervention from outside uh, uh, forces in terms of intervening with Burundi's uh, political situation, as was highlighted by uh, Professor Babatunde, highlighting the inability of the African Union to intervene in uh, historical um, issues, such as where we did see uh, the uh, issues of uh, intimidation, and uh, in the past where we saw uh, also the contestation of uh, the uh, adopting these reforms that now have been uh, cemented of extending uh, the reign of Pierre Nkurunziza. So where do we sit now in terms of the situation? Yeah, and um, in addition to some of those um, measures that have already been mentioned, uh, just to add that the African Union has monitors on the ground, human rights monitors on the ground in Burundi. Um, They haven't signed a memorandum of understanding yet, which limits what they're able to do. Um, And also the United Nations has set up a commission of inquiry on the human rights situation in Burundi. Um, 
Alongside that, we have a dialogue process that's been opened up by the East African community, which has currently stalled, but has not completely ended. There's still an opening there. These are three measures that the government of Burundi has an opportunity now, now that the constitution has passed, to choose to engage with those measures to address the human rights violations in the country um, and to try and find a solution to this ongoing crisis. Um, I really think that the ball is in the court of the government to engage with those measure mechanisms. It's also in the court of those mechanisms to really up their game to insist on Burundi's cooperation with those mechanisms. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier on, there really is this climate of fear in the country that is quite palpable, and you know, it's the government's prime responsibility to make sure that its citizens can live in an environment where they know that their rights are respected, where they can get on with their lives. And that's for the benefit of everyone in Burundi, that people should just be able to get on with their lives without fear of what will happen if they say the wrong thing or if they vote the wrong way or if you know they're seen not to support the ruling party. What are your thoughts, Professor? Yes. Um, yeah, um, the... The um, African Union, um, of course, um, will, I mean, the, I, I already mentioned how the African Commission was mandated to, to do a field study um, or to engage in fact-finding mission, rather. Um, and, of course, the EES process as well, which has not really, um, of course, they say they've been dialoguing, but nothing has really changed. I mean, the atrocities keep, um, keep increasing. Uh, and um, opposition members have been um, subjected to touch death and, you know, and of course issues of rape again um, as surfaced. So if um, the, 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 the issue here, um, again, is about, you know, I can, one cannot state the role of regional actors in this respect. Um, and again, maybe one of the reasons why the ESC again has not been able to be very effective um, in, in in handling the Burundi crisis is that um, it's it also has a legitimacy issues, legitimacy problems. Um, as I earlier mentioned, you have Yawuri Museveni, you have Magufuli, you have um, uh, you have uh, Paul Kagame mm. around, and of course, these leaders have also been accused of the same thing. They've all, you know, uh, specifically Kagame and uh, Museveni, they've changed the constitution to suit themselves um, and to remove issues of time limits and all of those things. So the optics are not very, very, very good because mm -hmm. uh, will ask questions. He would ask questions and say, why are you guys being, too, being um, unnecessarily mean? Why, are you guys, um, why do you guys want to punish me when everybody around me is essentially doing the same thing? Mm -hmm. And nothing is asked. So, so uh, you know, but the, the, the problem, the key problem here is that um, if this constitution sees, the, and it's definitely going to see the light of the day, because Nkwesi has essentially messed up all the institutions. He has destroyed all account, uh, institutions that would uh, hold him accountable in, in Burundi. So if this situation remains, then... We are dealing with issues. We are dealing with um, serious humanitarian issues where uh, you could see a revival of the civil war, number one. Um, refugees are already living in Burundi as well, placing strain 
on on its neighbors you know um you know, to rwanda uh, tanzania and um, and also uganda so if this thing if Nkuziza continues along these lines then the possibility of of uh, of uh, of stoking the flames of um, you know potential civil war mm-hmm. is very very real Mm. So that's 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 one big concern, and that is why regional institutions have to play a very important role in ensuring that so, Okuriziza, um stop um, uh, this this attitude of uh, of making himself a life president. Professor, just a technical question I wanted to ask, and uh, I referred to this before we went to that early break in terms of electioneering in uh, uh, Burundi with this uh, constitutional reform, as it seems mm-hmm. like it is in favour of Pierre. We will still see um, elections in Burundi because many people could say that uh, is also a questionable process uh, mm. due to this constitutional change. Yes. No, there will be. Um, you see, African leaders, I mean, African le- uh, some African leaders have been able to use you know the the, the 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 form you see when you talk about elections and democracy you have the form and the substance so for example the form is that you organize elections every four or five years you know you do everything just for show right but the substance will be missing so i i, I there will be elections obviously there's there will be elections and um and the reason why Nkuruziza would hold elections again is to kind of create a facade mm-hmm. of normalcy. So there will be elections, but of course those elections will be rigged, as I, as I said earlier, because he has destroyed all the institutions around him and because he engages in this act of intimidation, mm-hmm. uh, intimidation of, of real and the uh, imagined uh, uh, opposition. So mm-hmm. you will continue to have all those questions. Um, you will continue to have... Um, um, elections, but the question, the key question is, uh, will the elections be free and fair? Um, you know, and I, I seriously doubt that because well, I don't see, I don't see him organizing free and fair elections. As a matter of fact, well, we'll leave it there. And uh, very, very um, interesting views coming from our guests. Thank you to Professor Babatunde Afakbayibo, who is the associate professor in the Department of Public Constitutional and International Law at the University of South Africa. Thank you as well to Rachel Nicholson, who is a researcher for Rwanda and Burundi uh, from Amnesty International. Thank you for giving us a bit of a context of this situation in Burundi. We appreciate you giving us your time. Thank you. Well, that's how we wrap it up. Remember, stay in tune with us right here on Channel Africa. If you want to stream us live, we're on www.channelafrica.co.za on DSTV on Channel 802 on the audiobook K. And remember, don't forget our Channel Africa Facebook page or our Twitter handle at African Dialogue or at, uh, at Channel Africa 1. Well, that's how we wrap it up. We'll be back tomorrow. From me, Benjamin Shatam. Until next time, God bless.